Blue Wire. Think about Lawrence. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Elliott dodged the eye of this national championship win. A deep throw by Lawrence. A lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it. He's down in the end zone. Touchdown, Clemson. Welcome into episode 150-150 of Press Pass. Kayla Anderson alongside my co-host Joshua Perry. And we reach episode 150, of course, at the start of the bull season. And there's always juicy things to get into because we've had coaching changes. We've had a transfer portal blow up in terms of just everybody's entering it. And then we had the Heisman um, ceremony the other night. So I'm going to ask you about that in a minute. But first and foremost, how was the week and how was the weekend? Um, It was a... Very good week. Uh, very good weekend. It was my first weekend at home, as a matter of fact. So, I was uh, going to ask that. Yep. You know, getting the adjustment down to uh, uh, being a house husband on the weekends. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I just want to make mention 150. And I didn't come into this at the very beginning with you, but I had been a guest a number of times and then, yes. uh, you know, started doing fill in duty and made this a pretty permanent thing. But uh, I hope everybody's enjoyed the show up to this point. I know we've had just a freaking blast doing it and, and hopefully we can do some more great shows. Yeah, no, I always appreciate you and coming in and in, in a, like I've said before, in a kind of a pinch hit situation and then being a guy that I can rely on every week um, to talk about college football and all the fun stuff that comes along with it so that we can give you guys, the listeners, you know, perspectives, different perspectives, but I think the biggest thing for us is we want to give you the most information that we can in a wide variety of ways. So hopefully we have done that up to this point. And we, of course, appreciate you guys for listening. So let's talk about that Heisman ceremony. No surprise, Joshua, that Alabama, which this was kind of weird, but then it made sense. Alabama had its first ever quarterback as a, a, in terms of a Heisman winner. And that was Bryce Young winning it this past weekend. I was a little bit shocked by that, but all four Heisman winners have come under Saban. Yeah, I mean, that is just a really unique it uh, is. situation that, you know, Saban's got the guys, basically. Yeah. Um, and the quarterback thing is curious because of the the recent quarterbacks that he's had. Yes. But when you look at Alabama just historically and what Saban was, at least when he got to Alabama, it wasn't known for the offense. It definitely wasn't known for the quarterback play. And um, truly football has evolved in, you know, basically I would say the last 15 years to be a very quarterback centric game. Um, and, And so it just, that makes sense. But the fact that Saban has all of these accolades and he's had some of the most successful teams in the history of college football. Like that's where it it kind of boggles your mind that he hasn't had a Heisman quarterback yet. It does. And I know that some people out there might be thinking, well, like you mentioned, it's not been known for having quarterbacks. Like they've been game manager quarterbacks. And when I was there covering Alabama, those were the type of quarterbacks I covered. But the thing about Saban that's so cool is he evolves as college football evolves and when he realized that the state of football was 
moving more towards the offensive centric, you know, quarterback runs the show type of, you know, situation, he evolved and he hired the right people to kind of change his offense. And now, just a few years later, he has Alabama's first Heisman quarterback winner. So that's what you have to, again, appreciate from who has proven to be the best, you know, football, college football coach of all time. Yeah, no, and I think that's what makes Saban as great as he is, is there's not just a one-size-fits-all approach, and he doesn't have too much of an ego, I think would be the best way to put it, to say that he can't evolve and he can't change. Yeah, you're exactly right, and Saban's got his ways with the media, and we all know that, but he's softened up throughout the years, which you have to appreciate, and I think when it comes down to it, you just know he really cares about his players. Uh, every player that we've ever spoke to who plays at the the professional level now always has good things to say about Nick Saban. So I, I was a little bit um, interested in what you thought about Aiden Hutchinson finishing second in the Heisman race. Yeah, I mean, there was a legitimate argument. I got into uh, you know some discussions with a couple of Buckeye fans that weren't exactly happy about me saying this, but um, there's a legitimate argument that you can make that uh, he's the best player in the country right now. Um, and the Heisman is very interesting award because it is, it goes to the most outstanding player in college football, not necessarily the most, uh, or the best player. Yeah. And so most outstanding, when you talk to some people who have Heisman votes, they will tell you, it means what kind of impact they have on their team or their team's success or how successful their team was overall because of their impact and all those different things. And so. Um, I think as a quarterback, you can impact the game a lot more and you can be more directly attributed to your team's success. But for Aiden Hutchinson, in terms of what he did individually compared against what went on in in college football, there's a case to to make that he's the best player. You can make that same case for Will Anderson, who finished in the top five as well. Right. But we knew it was going to be dominated by the quarterbacks. Now, my biggest thing on this is the chasm between uh, Bryce Young and the rest of the quarterbacks on this list was mm-hmm. staggering to me. It was. Because I didn't think the gap was that wide. I, yeah. I think that C.J. Stroud is phenomenal. I thought Kenny Pickett had a really good year. He played phenomenally in a lot of situations. But Bryce Young had the best Heisman moments. And you flip it back to rivalry weekend where Bryce Young takes Alabama down the field on that last drive. And I think that cemented what he was. But Overall in that game, he was 49% completion, you know, threw for under 300 yards, I believe. Whereas CJ Stroud threw for nearly 400 yards, two uh, touchdowns, and he was 70% completion, but the team lost. And so, you know, when you compare the actual performances, CJ probably had a better day, but since your team loses, you lose out on that Heisman moment. And then you flip it over to championship weekend and Kenny Pickett had himself a really good game, right. but Bryce Young had a better game against a better team that more people were watching. And so that's the difference is I think that he had more impactful Heisman moments than the other two guys. And with the recency bias and all that kind of stuff, I think that's where everybody voted, but I, I don't think that he, he was really, really is not to discredit him. I think it's to give more credit to the other two quarterbacks in the seasons that they had. Yeah, very well said there. And and you're right, recency bias, I think, definitely plays into votes nowadays. So let me jump in on that, because mm-hmm. I think the best situation is um, that Heisman voting is open. It's 
open for a singular week, and that is after yeah. the rivalry games and before the the conference championship games happen, mm-hmm. um, because it makes everybody wait to watch the full regular season. Right, and then it takes the ability to use an extra data point from a conference championship game for certain players, whereas other players aren't playing. C.J. Stroud is the example there, um, and I think that would kind of take away a little bit of the recency and force people maybe to look at the season as a whole instead of maybe the last couple of weeks where people can quote unquote make statements when um, I think everything else that happened in the season is just as valuable. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I mean, again, a a reason why I feel like we need to get you on that Heisman voter list. I mean, you said you're not on it, right? Nope. Yeah, that needs to happen. Yes, it does. (laughs) Just saying. Um, So I know you're going to have an opinion about this because, you know, sometimes coaches have said things here in the past that um, we're not always in agreement with. And sometimes you just wonder, how do they think they're earning their players' trust or respect by some of the things they say? So I will go to Mike Leach, head coach of the Mississippi State Bulldogs, uh, our former head coach at Washington State, where, might I add, Joshua, he did have some things that he talked about at Washington State when he was there that rubbed players the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Players came out after the fact and talked about it. So this doesn't really surprise me that he said this, but now I just kind of want your reaction as a former player. So he pretty much said, um, you have an obligation to the place that helped build and developed you and finish it out in a bowl game. That's part of it. You owe it to your team. You owe it to your fans. You owe it to your coaches. And it is the most bizarre thing in the world to me. And he is talking about, obviously, players opting out of bowl games, specifically those players who are going to, you know, go into the NFL draft and pursue a career in the pros. Yeah. Um, And Leach has been funny. And, uh, you know, he's been somebody who we as media members, we like because he's gregarious and he kind of takes it there when other coaches are super serious. Um, he's also had some other moments where we've been very critical. This is what I'll say on that topic is you, he needs to, instead of saying that talking about players, he needs to take his ass to the next coaching convention where they're all getting together or, you know, the, the, the Nike, uh, convention that all the coaches go to the coaches summit. And he Mm -hmm. needs to make that comment to his peers because we saw what Brian Kelly did to an 11 win team this year. Yeah. Where you would say that he would have a duty and an obligation to be there for those guys yep. because of all the great seasons he had at Notre Dame that put him on the spotlight to be able to take the job at LSU. Yep. When Leach was at Oklahoma in 2000, he left the team to take a new job. Yep. And and so, it let, I mean, this guy's not innocent. And it's funny because I've, I'm critical when I need to be, but I also give credit where credit's due. So I can think back to my time at Ohio State. Tom Herman was taking the Houston job during the uh, national championship run. And I know that's obviously it's, it's a very different scenario for a coach. You wouldn't want to necessarily leave your team. That's going to be in the playoff. Although Brian Kelly did just up and leave when Notre Dame had a chance to get in there. It's not like they were completely out of it, but um, Tom Herman was coaching Ohio state was coaching. The offense was coaching the quarterbacks 
during the day. He was doing film breakdowns. And then his ass would hop on a private jet and he would go to Houston, yep. like in the middle of the yep. night and, and be getting his infrastructure together. He'd be talking to people. He'd be doing interviews. He was up literally 24 hours a day. He was trying to recruit at the same time, but he knew that he owed it to the guys that he coached in right. the, the team that he was a part of. Guys like me on the defensive side of the ball, where I contributed nothing to his success. He felt like he needed to be there for all of us. Yep. And so for me, it's really hard to hear a coach talk about what players need to do yeah. when in this day and age, coaches ain't doing it right. Like right. get a grip, man. And, and, and again, like, you know, we all like Leach here. Um, and, and, you know, some people don't, but I like him. I think he's been fun. This is just a bad, it's a bad quote because we're, we're at a point where you can realize like, dude, you know, the money that's being thrown around for coaches and the, the, the decisions that they're making, athletic directors making decisions on behalf of teams without even thinking about the student athletes. I'm really not trying to hear that. Well, no. And, and I think you kind of mentioned this, especially college football in these times. And that's the biggest thing. College football is not like it used to be. It has evolved immensely. And, you know, we're to the point now that you do have to look at more than just, you know, letting coaches kind of do their thing. Because if you if you even look at the coaching side of things, I think it's getting even more crazy in terms of how little they're staying in one place and how much the carousel is spinning throughout even a season um, and then certainly after a season. But I don't think it's necessarily fair that Leach says something like this. A, I wouldn't be too happy if I were one of his players who worked my tail off you know, whether that be for a couple seasons or once, whatever it was, whatever, however long you were at that, you know, um, organization or that program for. And then this is in your best interest to not play in a bowl game because you're afraid of risk or, you know, you've gone through, I think a lot of these players go through some sort of, I guess, uh, not counseling, but they're, they're probably getting insight from a lot of people. And so for him to say that, I just think it's kind of out of date for him to say something like that. It just, it doesn't fit in the times that we're living in in terms of college football and what's at stake. No. And I'll put it like this too. Like there are 10 on-field coaches allowed in any single program. And some programs have, you know, more analysts and more quality control Mm -hmm. than other programs. But, you know, when, when a coach leaves their team, when their team is getting ready to prepare for a bowl game, it's a huge impact. It's, it's a seismic shift. There are going to be a lot of pieces in flux when a player leaves. It's, it's definitely a huge impact, especially if this is a, a, you know, one of the best players, which it probably is, but there, that to me is no different than somebody who got an injury and couldn't be available on game day. The next guy has to step up. And in coaching, I feel like, it, that it's not it's 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 not the same thing your your mm-hmm. impact is greater than a player's impact if you leave a team because mm-hmm. you are a part of the infrastructure in the culture players come and go every single year sure. every single week really they're in and out of the lineup and you have to find ways to overcome that but for a coach to just up and disappear like it's it's real interesting because people I'm I'm going to go on and on um which I'm known to do <laughs> Joe Moorhead, when he was ill during the season in Oregon, lost to Stanford, a lot of people said 
that his absence was a big reason why Oregon lost that football game. That's the example of how impactful coaching is on the game. Yeah. Kayvon Thibodeau was out against Ohio State, and they still won the game in Columbus on a 9 a.m. body clock game. That's the yeah. impact of a star player being out of the lineup. That's mm-hmm. my case right there. No, you're exactly right. And I think that, again, I don't even think, Joshua, there's that many guys that opt out. I mean, I, I think for the most part, it's a fair amount when you talk about it. Yeah, it's uh, a handful. I mean, if, if you're a guy who isn't going to be, uh, I would say, a top 40 or 50 pick, there's no reason to opt out. No, I agree. And I mean, and- yeah, I, I had to play in my last game. Like, I literally had to. I needed sure. the tape. Like, if, if I would have gotten hurt, I don't know if it would have hurt my draft stock yeah. nearly as much as Joey Bosa getting hurt. Or in, in that game that I played in my final game at Ohio State against Notre Dame, Jalen Smith getting hurt. Like, he's yeah. a guy who should have opted out. Absolutely. Me, it wouldn't have made a difference. Well, you know, and that's the thing. To, to each is your own. And you got to d- do what's best for you. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just was not happy, really, about that comment from Bleach. But, again... He, I do like him. There, it's hard for me not to like him because he does bring so much, just so much fun to the game, and it does make it entertaining with so many other things that you know he does. Like it's hard not to like him, but sometimes I'm just like, bro, shut your mouth. Yeah, he's had some moments, but I'm with you. Like <laughs> I, I think that he's also had some some really good, really just joyful. Yes. Moments where you're like, all right, I got to give this guy a pass. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, really quick. I wanted to ask you, you had mentioned Oregon. And so that popped into my head that we have not um, brought up yet because it didn't happen that Dan Lanning, defensive coordinator at Georgia, has taken the head coach, uh, head coaching job at Oregon. And I was a little bit surprised about this, Joshua. Like Oregon is a big brand. And I'm not saying Dan Lanning's not going to be a good head coach, but I'm a little surprised, A, they they hired a defensive guy. Yeah. And B, like, is there no other names out there that you feel or maybe they just didn't get the interest? What do you think's going on at Oregon or do you think this is the right fit and this is the guy that they wanted? I, I couldn't – I don't know enough about him to be completely honest, but here's my – assessment of that is first off the pac 12 is playing checkers everybody else is playing chess you know yeah like, you're even right my mother went out and they hired a two million dollar a year coordinator because they felt like that's what they had to do to get back into the college football playoff yep and not to say that dan lanning isn't a phenomenal coach because look at what georgia's defense did this year but he was also working under a defensive coach in kirby smart so you have to ask the question how much was truly his play calling and his infrastructure and how much of it was the head coaches. Right. And this isn't a splash hire. This is not Oregon going no. out and poaching one of the, the coaches, uh, uh, an up and coming head coach or even another power five head coach. Like they went to the coordinator ranks. Now where this makes a little bit of sense to me is I look at Oregon as having a, an offensive line coach as their last coach. And up until that point, True. They had been kind of finesse. They had Chip Kelly, who was a little bit of a finesse guy. And then oh, yeah. they had Helfrich, who was, you know, a quarterback guy. He was in that same system. He was a finesse guy. Yep. And then Mario Cristobal comes in, and he's a tough dude. He's a, an old-school, rugged, offensive line mentality type of guy. And he built a pretty tough program out there, whereas, um, you know, a lot of teams out on the West Coast, with the exception of Utah, um, you know, they're a little bit more finesse. 
Oregon was able to bully some people this year up until they played Utah twice and got bullied. Yep. But I think they want to keep that same toughness. So that's why you go with the defensive minded guy. Okay. But you look at the uh, the resume here. Started out as a high school coach from 20, 2008 to 2010. Then he was a GA at Pitt. Uh, he was at Arizona State as a GA. And then in 2013, he was Arizona State's recruiting coordinator. That was his yeah. title there. Then he was at Sam Houston as a DB coach. And then he was at Alabama in 15 as a GA. He went to Memphis for a year coaching inside backers. And he was at Georgia as the outside backers coach in 18. And then from 19 up until the point he got hired by Oregon, he was a defensive coordinator. So. Yeah. You know, he's he's been a D.C. at one stop for two years under defensive head coach. Um, he was a G.A. as recently as I was playing in college. Um, and, and so you you can absolutely ask the question, like, you know, how big of a splash is this? How much do we trust that he can get the job done? And especially now on the West Coast, where you feel like they're so far behind the eight yeah. ball, like he's got to really tug on some of those connections that he has down there in the state of Texas, where he was a coach or uh, in the state of Tennessee and in Alabama and in Georgia, or else they're going to fall way behind. Oh, I agree. Especially now, you know, that because Oregon's really been probably the most consistent force in the Pac-12 over the last several years with yep. the decline of USC. But obviously USC made a phenomenal hire in Lincoln Riley. And so they're uh, kind of, I would assume that USC is going to be on the rise, you would hope pretty quickly. And, and they're going to be on the recruiting trail trying to get if anybody wants to go to the Pac-12, you know, you're going to want to go to USC, I would guess. Um, and so it'll be interesting, too, to see if Oregon continue to stay, can continue to stay relevant like it has been. Because it does have so many things at its fingertips with yes. it being a Nike school. Yeah, so being there, the Nike school. Being the Nike school. So there's many benefits to it. So that'll be interesting to see. Speaking of Southern California, and we're going to get into our last block here. I want to talk about the transfer portal again. We had talked about it briefly last week, but there's been some major movement in the transfer portal in the last few days. And Southern California quarterback Keaton Slovis mm -hmm. has now entered the portal. So you're seeing right away that, okay, a new coach comes in. These guys are not even going to give it a chance like they're leaving you know they're not the that coach's guy um and so Keaton Slovis he's in the transfer portal we just saw yesterday because we're taping this on a Monday that Auburn starting quarterback Bo Nix is in the transfer portal and he's a legacy at Auburn might I add right His dad played there and then you have an interesting uh situation with a, a guy that was going to becoming was going to go to Ohio State and now is going somewhere else. Yeah. So Quinn Ewers, who uh, who just left the program at Ohio State, is now going to be a Texas Longhorn. So he's going back home, um, which is a pretty big deal just in terms of him being able to play in his home state. Um, also, he can capitalize on that NIL money now that he's not a high school player, which is part of the reason why he <laughs> left high school early to go to. Ohio State. Um, it, now, this is a, a very curious situation. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it because mm -hmm. um, Steve Sarkeesian was a guy who, you know, people had dubbed basically a genius um, in his wow. offensive play calling prowess, which I'm not going to argue. But as a head coach in his last stops, he had some obvious issues, which, um, you know, hopefully those demons never pop back up for him. But he's mm -hmm. had a rough year at Texas uh, just trying to build that program back to national prominence. And so if you're Quinn Ewers, 
you leave a program that has shown stability, has shown the ability to develop quarterbacks and put them in the NFL. Um, and has always been in the conversation, at least, of being in the college football playoff every year since its inception, where Texas has not been in that situation. So if you're him, you probably feel like you can play right away at Texas, which I know plays into that situation. But overall, there's a, a, a lingering question of, was this the best move for his career as a player? Well, and that's a question that I think – we're going to have to see play out, which is unfortunate. I wish we had a crystal ball to be like, is this the right decision? And I just, again, we talk about Texas so much on this podcast and it's not in, in a positive way. And it's not because we're purposely trying to bash the program, but what has this program proven? What things have they, I know they've tried to make moves, but it just, it, nothing seems to be working there. And I just feel like, in terms of stability of a program, Texas is not a place where I'd still feel comfortable maybe going right now. I, I just don't, especially with it entering the years of, you know, being an SEC team in the future soon, sooner than later, right. um, they're going to have to really start to get on track. And I just don't feel like the foundation is there yet. And maybe Sark can get there but isn't that what we were saying before <laughs> like yeah I, I just I don't know if it's the best move for someone right now that wants if you want to have stability of a program and a program that seems to have a little bit more con continuity I feel like you go to a place like Ohio State yes now the one thing I will say though about Quinn Ewers is he took a, a big bet on himself when he left high school early that's true. And now he's betting on himself again. And if this gamble pays off for him, um, he can bring the flagship program yeah. of his home state back yeah. to prominence. Um, like, I mean, you want to be the guy at the end of that story. So that's true. It's really interesting there. Uh, I want to hit you with a couple other quarterbacks who have uh, been shuffling around. Um, Adrian Martinez entered the transfer portal. This was a couple weeks ago, uh, quarterback of Nebraska. And he's yes. a guy who's been really good at his best and he's been piss poor at his worst. Um, he's very interesting to me because I, I feel like there are a lot of quarterback coaches and offensive coordinators who feel like they can coach the mistakes out of him. So I'd be curious to see where he lands as a guy in Martinez who has had some stunning moments. What type of program, I'm not asking you for like a specific program, but what type of program do you think takes a risk on that guy? Well, a program where you definitely have a coach that thinks they can fix things and has that type of personality where, you know, we, we're going to take a chance on them because we are going to be able to fix them. We see that a lot in college sometimes mm -hmm. uh, because these coaches, I mean, it is what it is. They have huge egos and, and coaches think they can fix anything. And sometimes they can, but it's got to be a guy who can develop a quarterback, right? Mm. Who, who can, who can have the natural ability to kind of be like, okay, these are the things that you're, you're not doing right. That continue to be, um, problems and to have the patience to, to be able to work with a guy like that or have the staff like an offensive coordinator or a quarterback's coach that can work with a guy like that specifically to, you know, he's got to be able to put in the work Martinez does, yes. um, as well. Mm. I think he will. And, and and that's, and I love that. It's 
the problem right now, Joshua, is, I mean, we're talking about all these quarterbacks that I just rolled off two big names. And where are all these guys going? That's the great question. And That's you're exactly question. right. Where is he going to go? Because the first thing I thought about was a guy like that. And I thought about what's been going on. And I'm not saying system-wise exactly, but in terms of a coach. So Hennon Hooker is the Tennessee quarterback. He was a Vautech transfer this last year. And he has really developed well. And he still has things to work on under Josh Heupel. Josh Heupel was a quarterback. Josh Heupel right. won a natty at Oklahoma. Josh he was a very Heupel good quarterback. He was a Heisman a, finalist. He, he <laughs> was. Yeah. And he has really helped develop Hendon Hooker. And you know what I like about him even more? Because Hendon Hooker announced he's coming back. And there was a lot of talk that he was going to enter the NFL draft. And a lot of t- a, a lot of what went into this is what we're hearing is that Heupel was pretty much telling him, you're not going to be guaranteed the job, Hendon. Yeah. And put some pressure and, t- and, and kind of like put that fire into him to want to work harder and to want to be the guy. And so now, you know, Hendon's coming back. But that's kind of a program where I would see someone like Martinez going somewhere where that kind of situation can happen, right? Where you're going to yeah. put the pressure on him a little bit. You're not going to make them seem like they're the guy from the get-go, but you are going to take the time to help develop them. I think that's a that's a really good point, is if you're a, a quarterback coach, you have to be confident in your skills to develop a guy like Martinez, who is very close, but he's, I mean, he just makes some boneheaded errors. Yeah. Um, if you're Martinez, you also probably should seek that guy. But there's there's also this idea that, and I'm just throwing out a program here, a, a team like Northwestern would love a one-year rental Sure. On a quarterback who can be explosive because they yeah. have no offense at all. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think about teams like that too, where it's like, okay, maybe you've got a quarterback coming in the next recruiting class, but you need a rental for a year sure. and you're willing to take a chance. So this, this carousel is going to be really interesting. You mentioned the name Bo Nix and, and <laughs> I mean, folks were talking about Bo Nix, like he was the second coming at one point in his career. Oh, yeah. um, and he's had ups and downs and some injuries, but he's not there's going to be a, though. yes, there's going to be a team out there who's like, yeah, we're going to take this guy. We yep. want this guy. Yep. Um, and so the market's hot. Like there's, there's a transfer quarterback from Purdue um, Plummer, and he, you know, he was a, a backup quarterback, but he's a big athlete. He can run the football. He throws it pretty good. Like somebody's going to want to take a chance on him too. It's just it, the, the carousel right now. We talked about coaches these last couple of weeks, but this transfer portal is crazy too. It's nuts. And and we're even, we haven't, I don't even think we've seen, you know, the end of it yet. I think it's going to get crazier. I was thinking about too, a situation where transferring is, is always, it, you got to, you second guess yourself sometimes. And sometimes it doesn't work out. I, I mean, we were talking about USC and Keaton Slovis transferring. Well, he became the starter when JT Daniels transferred. And JT Daniels has been at Georgia and really hasn't played. Right. And, and he was supposed to be the guy at Georgia. And instead, they played Stetson Bennett the 50th or whatever it is. <laughs> uh, who, no, no, I'm not trying to make fun of him, but my God, right. he is not a, a, a Georgia quarterback. He is not right. an SEC quarterback. Right. I mean, it's just nuts to me. Like, it's a game of Russian roulette almost at this point. It really is. And I'll say this too, like the transfer quarterback market is so interesting because at least you have a, a book 
on what these players are as college quarterbacks, whether they're great or not. Mm-hmm. And and if they're transferring, they're probably not great. They might be good. Um, you're gambling with yeah, high school yeah. quarterbacks. I mean, the amount of quarterbacks that are just misses in recruiting is wild. Like elite 11 guys out of high school who do nothing in college. It's just like they're a swing and a miss. Um, yeah. And so like that's that's the part about it too is like, you know, somebody's going to say, all right, well, we got a guy. I'm not exactly confident about our guy. Like, what are we going to do? Well, at least we know this guy is going to be, you know, good for putting up some offensive production, even if he's going to turn the football over. Like we could roll with him knowing that instead of maybe taking a gamble on a red shirt kid who hasn't played very much football and you see him in practice and he hasn't been like overly impressive. That's where this thing is super interesting. And what's even more funny, Joshua, is that it's no different when w- they get drafted. And it's no different when they reach the NFL because how many times have we seen quarterbacks go early on or in the first round and they just never amount to anything. They don't have a career. And so that brings me to the point of as much as I love a good quarterback and as much as they're very valuable in terms of the game at any level, it's just a big roll the dice no matter how you want to look at it, unless they're a superstar. Yeah, it, it's, it. it's just really funny like that that continues to be a theme at every level, it seems like. All right, let me ask one more question before we get up out of here. <laughs> okay. Is our guy Urban coming back to college? Oh, boy. Oh, Joshua. You know how much I've had to, to deal with this because we're, yeah. I'm covering the Tennessee Titans. And how about that handshake at the end there? Well, I'll tell you this much. So that handshake, which I watched several times, by the way, and if you guys aren't familiar with it, go go on Twitter and look it up. But Urban pretty much, so here's little little Mike Brabel, like just so happy, trotting to, trotting to the center of the field. Like he was so um, jovial, you know, just won the game, just shut out Jacksonville. And um, he's ready to shake his, you know, former boss's hand. And Urban pretty much doesn't even look at him is looking dead straight ahead, barely gives him a handshake, and just goes right on walking. Yep. And it was like one of those moments that kind of made me laugh because Rabel had done that the prior week because they had the bye week. So the week before that, Rabel had kind of done the same thing to Bill Belichick, <laughs> which, mind you, he played for. Right. And they're all kind of intertwined. And so he did kind of the same thing to Bill and just kind of really ran past him really quickly, barely shook his hand. And I just thought it was so funny um, that that happened to him then. I think it's just a moment as a coach, as a competitive person, as a competitive coach at the level that they all are at, that it's just they're kind of in, in an embarrassment mode. Yep. Don't you think? And, and, and it was pure frustration on his face, right? Like here, and it, we're, it, this is not making excuses. It's just like you know, if you've been around Urban, like you can, his body language tells a story every single time. Absolutely, um, and, and I, then, I think Mike Rabel inherited the hands on the knees, crouching over, looking like you're going <laughs> to vomit. Look, I think he inherited it from Urban. <laughs> Seriously, I'm and serious. Like, and, and they're both really competitive guys. They're super yes. animated, very competitive guys. Yes. Um, and so you could see that by the way that Vrabel ran out there for the handshake. He was pumped up because the Titans have put together a pretty damn good season despite injuries, injuries. and despite everything that's gone mm-hmm. on. Now we're doing an NFL show. 
Um, whereas Urban, he's got two wins on the year. He's going up against one of his former assistants. They got right? completely embarrassed, totally shut out. Yep. Um, in the wake of some reports that came yes. out of Jacksonville. Yes. And, you know, like you could see just on his face, like that moment right there, I think crystallized kind of the tenor of this year, if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars. But now the, the conversation has shifted a little bit. And I think that um, Jacksonville ownership kind of knew this was going to be a little bit of a build for them and it was going to take Correct. a couple years to get right. But there's a legitimate question about whether yes. this is a good situation for either side. And, and this is not coming from any information that I would have, but if I just knowing urban, the way that I know him, I have a hard time believing that this would be the last time he coaches if he had to go out like this. Well, I agree with you and you know, urban way more than I do because you played for urban, but I've also covered urban and I've kind of followed him closely now in the NFL this year because they're AFC rival of, AFC South rival of the Titans. And I think the biggest thing here, Joshua, because I've been hearing that if they lose to Houston, who is all a you know, bottom feeder of the AFC as well, South, both have been eliminated from the playoffs. Um, but if they lose to Houston next week, I've heard that it's there, that there's a good chance they part ways. Um, now, I don't know if that's truth. These are just reports. But my biggest thing is from everything we've heard, it looks like there's just been a strain with the players within the organizations between him and the players. And I just don't think that that's going to be able something that they can repair moving yeah. forward. And I am agreeing with you that I don't think Urban is going to let himself go out like that. I so just don't see that happening. Here's the, the interesting thing about the culture changes in the NFL is they're a lot harder. And Urban's coming in. He has to rebuild a roster. I don't think he was great in free agency. He drafted a really good quarterback who's young, and so he's not playing very well. Yep. Um, and he's he's hard on everybody all the time to the point of being an asshole. Do you think um, he called his assistant losers? Is Do you think he would say those words, or do you think he is hard on them in other ways? I think he would say it. I'm not okay. exactly sure he did. Okay. But, I mean, Urban's, you know, he's gone there, and I don't – I mean, there are a lot of things said in coaching meetings, too, that people would be very surprised by. It's received a little bit differently when Urban is is railing on his assistants and the team is undefeated and national championship is in sight and it's a college game. It's very different where he comes in and, you know, he is just blowing everything up and he's hard on everybody when he has a proven track record of being a championship coach in college where it's tough is like, he's as unproven as his rookie quarterback in the NFL. Yep. Um, And when it's not working, it becomes really hard to be that guy all the time because people are starting to lose faith in whether that approach actually works. And so I think that's a part of it too, is urban is uncompromising in how he wants to approach the, the culture shift and the build of his team, which is totally fine. But as a player and as an assistant coach, you start to look at the results and you say, man, like what you're doing right now isn't working. We could at least have a little bit of fun. It could be a little bit less tense around here. And I think that's probably what's going on. Absolutely. Look, in my opinion, I still think he should have taken a USC job if it would have been a thing. Like, I don't know. I feel like there's a good chance that they perhaps did reach out to Urban at some point. Um, Again, I don't know that as a fact. I, I, I mean, I feel like that would have been a better fit than an NFL team that's been the bottom feeder of the NFL for a while. Mm-hmm. But again, that's where I'm at too. So it'll be interesting if, if yeah. this 
happens to be the disaster that people are predicting it's going to be. Yep. It's really hard for me to say that this is uh this is the last time we'll see Urban Meyer and I'm sure we'll see him again on a college sideline this time. I would agree with you on that, my friend. Well, that does it for this episode of Press Pass. It's funny because whenever we get into our podcast before we start taping it, we always are like, okay, like sometimes we have like time limits and sometimes we're like, well, we'll be a little shorter today or we don't have as much this week to get into. So we're not going to go that long. And then by the time we're done, we've gone like now we're like averaging about 40 minutes podcast because we have so much stuff to talk about once we get going. And that's why hopefully you guys enjoy us. If anything, that's it. You can split us up right on your drive home and your drive to or from. That's there it. You go. When you're getting your little workout in, you do yeah. your 40 minutes on the treadmill. Exactly. Pop your AirPods, Boom. Your, your, your earphones, your beats in. Boom. And listen to your boy and your girl. Yeah, exactly. We get you, we'll get you through that workout. Well, especially during this, this like uh, urban talk, you're just like, you know, just going, going on the treadmill, getting in the miles. <laughs> um, anyways, where can they go to find you, my friend, on social media you can find me at rip underscore jep on twitter and instagram perfect you can follow me at kayla anderson tv both on twitter and instagram as well again thanks for joining us for our 150th episode of press pass we truly appreciate all the listeners and hopefully you guys continue to listen and if you're new make sure you subscribe give us a like um, and also a review if you would like All right, Joshua, have a great weekend and all of you out there as well. Hopefully uh, we got some more football here to talk about with bowl games coming up here soon. Take care.